The following program has been paid for by the Truth and Liberty Coalition. The political views expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of this station. Welcome to a special Truth and Liberty broadcast with Andrew Womack. Today, Andrew is joined by several political leaders as they discuss the importance of the upcoming election and why you need to vote your values. Christians need to participate. We can't do this without God. We are having a pitch battle about whether America is going to remain a free nation or whether it's going to become something very, very different. This election and what happens in the next six months may very well determine what happens with the future of this country. And now, here's Andrew. Hello and welcome to our Tuesday's broadcast. This week we are doing something very special. We're playing a panel discussion that I made during our uh, summer family Bible conference. And I tell you, this was powerful. It was amazing. And we've already spent the first day yesterday introducing it, talking about how important it is for Christians to get out and vote, that our liberties are literally at stake. And today we're going to be talking about abortion and pro-life and showing what is the Christian response to this. We're also going to have General Boykin talk about socialism. And I tell you, he's been there. He's fought wars. He was in charge of some of the elite forces in our military. And he's talking about that, man, this, this is Marxism, is socialism that we are fighting against. And so this is really going to help you. And remember, at the end of our program today, I'm going to come on and share with you about how you can join with us in our Truth and Liberty Coalition. This will be a blessing. So I, I'll be back at the end of today's program. Let me just say that these platforms are based on what has previously been done. They are still in the process of writing their platforms for this election cycle, but they aren't going to change significantly. Matter of fact, Tony, if I'm not mistaken, was a part of writing, an influential part of writing the 2016 Republican Party platform, and I think it's probably one of the most godly uh, platforms that has ever been put forth in the United States. Is that accurate? Uh, it is. I've actually been a part of writing the last uh, two or three platforms, and this one is the most conservative platform in party history, and it is the closest of a party platform to a biblical worldview that we have seen in the Republican Party. And this president is following it. Amen. I tell you, that's good news in the midst of so much bad news to think that really we have probably one of the most godly conservative platforms in the history of this nation. That is quite a statement. So let's start talking, first of all, about pro-life. What are the issues of the Democrats and the Republicans? Again, we had the overview, but let's discuss this a little bit uh, about pro-life, which, well, let me ask it this way. What does the Bible say about pro-life? And then we're going to show what the Democrats and the Republicans say. E.W.? Well, the word is very clear in Deuteronomy chapter 30. It says, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your descendants may live. And of course, Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life to the full until it overflows. And... You know, I, I think the difference is really deeper than what we're told, which is, well, no, this is the difference between those who believe in a woman's right to choose and those who don't believe in a woman's right to choose. No, I think this is about a culture of death 
versus the culture of life. And, and I think what has happened is the Democrat Party has embraced a culture of death. And we see that in so many ways. I mean, it's not just abortion. It's just a general denigration of life. Generally speaking, because the Democrats do have a more socialistic view, they don't see human beings as the creation of Almighty God. They see a baby in the womb as just tissue, just, just a blob. Whereas we know that God has a sacred plan for that child's life. And, and that child is sacred to him. It's not an accident. No matter what the circumstances of that child's birth, that God knew before the foundation of the world that that child was coming. And therefore, we see ourselves as stewards for God in protecting that life and giving God a chance to work through that life in the way he chooses to. And so that's why Supreme Court justices are extremely important. Uh, governors and mayors uh, and, and local and state judges are extremely important. I mean, it's generally speaking, uh, Andrew and everybody, why we can't, we can't abdicate as Christians. We, if we're not involved, then we get what they give us. And, and, and look, I don't mean to lay a guilt trip on anybody here, but the fact of the matter is we are where we are. And Tony, I'm sure you'd agree with this, in part because the church for too long was asleep while these things were happening. Totally because the church was asleep. We are the salt and the light, and we have not been doing our job. That's the reason I'm doing this publicly in a Christian gathering. L let me give some uh, encouraging news. Is that okay? Okay, all right. Just want to check. Uh, it, 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 on the life issue, as, as the bishop pointed out, the, this is the fundamental issue because if you see human beings as created in the image of God, that directs all of your other policy. And that's why I believe we have the violence in the streets where we devalue human life because we don't see it as being created in the image of God. Now, on the life front, I go back to the party platforms. Increasingly, there is this contrast between the two parties where you have the Democratic Party, not only now for the first time, fully embracing elective abortions, but wanting you to pay for them. Since Roe v. Wade, in fact, Henry Hyde, who the Hyde Amendment is named after, in, in 1973, we had Roe v. Wade. In 1974, the, what was now called the Hyde Amendment was introduced. And so almost since the very beginning of abortion on demand in this country, there's been an understanding between the two parties that this is a, there's a moral aspect of this and we should not force people to pay for that. The Democratic Party four years ago decided they were no longer a part of that deal and they want to force tax, taxpayers, regardless of their moral convictions, to fund abortions. And here's what we know, because it happened prior to the passage of the Hyde Amendment. What government pays for, it gets more of. So if we're funding abortions with taxpayer dollars, rest assured, we're going to get more abortions. But now here's the good news. Because of the party's strong stand on these issues of abortion, it not only affects the federal level, but this trickles all the way down to state legislatures, to uh, city councils and school boards. And as a result of the party's strong stance on life, in the last 10 years, we have seen nearly 800 pro-life laws go into act and in, in, be enacted. In fact, in the last 10 years, which is about, um, we've had Roe v. Wade for, since 1973, 
Just in the last 10 years, nearly a third of all pro-life laws have been passed. We are this close to becoming a predominantly pro-life nation again. We are one Supreme Court justice away from Roe going to the ash bin of history. The reality is this election is about policy, not personality. You need to have the conversations with your family, your friends about those platforms and ask them, what do they want, more abortion? Or do they want a nation that understands that human beings are created in the image of God and therefore worthy of being protected under our laws? We cannot, as the bishop said, we cannot choose death and expect a blessing. We only get the blessing if we choose life. And I think of what we see happening in America today is because we have chosen poorly. This may be our last chance to get it right. Can I just say one other thing about life? Uh, because in this climate where everyone seems to be hyped up about the issue of race, let us not forget that Margaret Sanger was a rabid racist who despised black people and other minorities, despised anybody she thought was feeble-minded, which meant people of any race that she didn't think was were worthy of living, consorted with the Ku Klux Klan, believed that Hitler was on the right track in his policies and, and ended up co-opting a bunch of black ministers to go along with her nefarious plans. And to this day, 37 to 40% of the abortions performed in America are performed on black women. I would like to see this, this, these Black Lives Matter and the Democrat Party begin to, to acknowledge that that is discrimination. Amen. And E.W. didn't mention it, but Margaret Sanger is the one who started Planned Parenthood. That was the focus of it was to eliminate blacks out of our society. That is what Planned Parenthood started with, and that is their goal. And it, to, there's a lot of hypocrisy today, but Planned Parenthood has been out front promoting Black Lives Matter, but yet they're aborting nearly half, in some places, nearly half of the black population in some cities. Talk about hypocrisy. And they're able to do that with a straight face. And you know, uh, Marjorie Dannon Felser, I don't know how many of you know her, but she's the head of the Susan B. Anthony list. And it's one of the leading pro-life organizations. Uh, she had President Trump speak at their last conference. And Kristen Hawkins uh, has been on my program. And she's the one that's uh, Students for Life. And they have thousands of students on every college campus in this nation ministering to people, and they are seeing tremendous inroads. Uh, Melissa Oden was just with us not long ago. She was actually aborted by her grandmother against her will and survived uh, an abortion, and she's now outspoken and just doing a great job. And every one of these women, I had them on my program, and every one are saying that they've been campaigning and believing to end abortion, but they thought it might be in their children's lifespan. But they said now the entire public opinion has changed. I think it's, again, you correct me because you're, you guys are more involved in this than I am, but I think it's 70 to 80% of the U.S. population is for some limitations on abortion. The whole thing is changing and yet the Democratic Party is getting more radical to where this just the last year or so, they actually now are allowing children who've been 
birthed and are completely outside of the woman's body. There's no way they can talk about their rights over their body. And they are actually encouraging them to let those children die. So we have the clearest choice, I believe, on this issue of any. And I don't understand how any Christian could sit there and advocate for abortion. It is not a woman's body. It's not control. They have a separate DNA. They have a separate heartbeat. It is absolute murder. And I'm sure that some other people might be a little bit more <laughs> diplomatic, but that's what it is. Praise God. Let's talk about socialism in general. I'm going to ask you to start this. You've spent an entire life and career defending freedom. You have been in foreign um, theaters where you fought and you've seen this. What's your opinion on socialism versus the liberties that we have? Yeah, sadly, uh, today's generation does not have a clue what socialism is or Marxism. I retired from the Army in 2007, and for the last 13 years, I've been talking about Marxism in America and the Marxist movement in America. In fact, the biggest YouTube thing I ever did was 7 million views on Marxism in America. But I get a lot of flack because uh, people say, that's just ridiculous. That's conspiracy theory. Well, you are going to have a choice in this election that's coming up in November. You're going to have a clear choice as to whether you want Marxism or you want democracy. That's it. You look at the people running on, on the Democratic side, on the progressive side. You look at them, and every single one of them is espousing Marxism, socialism, every one of them. And even those like, uh, like the, uh, Joe Biden that have been more moderate in their earlier times, they've all moved over to the Marxist side. And uh, I've seen Marxism. I've seen socialism. I've seen it up close. I've been in countries, even during the Cold War, I've been in countries where this is practiced. And let me tell you, when you live in a society like that, people walk along like a bunch of drones with their head down because there's no individual freedoms. You don't have control of your destiny. You can't get ahead. You only accept what some ruling oligarchy provides for you. That's where we're headed right now. And let me just say this, and I'll turn it over to Bill because Bill is really has become an expert because I've helped him a lot with it. Yeah. Choose carefully how you vote in this election because you really are going to determine your grandchildren's fate, your grandchildren's future. Are they going to live with the individual freedoms that our founding fathers gave us, or are they going to be under the dictatorship and domination of a small group of people that will determine what they can have and how much of it they can have? And that, in its worst case, is the Marxist socialist model. Um, socialism. So I re recently wrote a book, went all the way back to the beginning, to Plato. And in his uh, different writings, he talks about this ancient city of Atlantis, and it's all structured, and it's very advanced, and it sinks in the sea. And he keeps referring back to this. And so he says, democracy... Um, demos means people, crossing means rule, and uh, it's going to work because of tolerance. 
and then everybody tolerates each other. It's really nice. It's like an embroidery patchwork in a market where you buy any viewpoint. Democracy, it's great. Then they tolerate people that are a little bit off. Then they tolerate people that are a lot off. Till finally, they're tolerating crooks and crime and fraud. And then it creeps into the family, and the sons are disrespectful to the father. And then Plato writes, he goes, the manner of life is that of Democrats. <laughs> That's literally what he said, because he's describing a democracy, right? And he says that the young man gives into libertinism and useless and unnecessary pleasures, even incest and unnatural union. He goes, inside of every man, there's the wild beast, and some it's not under control. And anyway, and so it turns into this sexual chaos. And then they begin to vote the money out of the treasury. And then the, there's no money left. They vote money from the rich people. Now there's no rich left. And then they begin to have a shortage. They bicker, fight, turns into chaos. And then they begin to say, can't somebody come along and fix this mess? Somebody comes along promising to fix it. They yield their rights and their freedoms. And um, then they cast it in his teeth. He's getting too powerful. And he decides uh, either give up the power or get rid of these people with virtue. All he wants is yes men. Finally, he stands in the chariot of state holding the reins of power. And he's revealed as the tyrant. So the model of Plato is democracy without morals and virtue ends in social chaos out of which a tyrant arises, big government, right? And so this is the model that all socialism looks back to, Plato. Well, go forward about 2,000 years and Columbus discovers America. And 20 years later, you have Sir Thomas More writes the island of Utopia, this fictitious island off the coast of South America. And it's all structured society, very much like Plato. Everything is owned in common. Uh, there's no private property. There's no privacy. There's no alehouses. It's just com communal living, three-story identical houses. Everybody wears the same clothes. You eat like in monastery settings. There's no families. The state takes the children away from the family. And, and then it says that um, you cannot travel without a passport. You're tracked by the government all the time. And if you're caught without a passport, you're, it's a lifetime of slavery. Well, then you skip forward another century and you got uh, Sir Francis Bacon. Shakespeare, Queen Elizabeth, and you have the Pilgrims founding America. Francis Bacon writes The New Atlantis, so he's directly going back to Plato. And uh, again, this is an island off the coast of uh, off south of uh, the South Pacific. And uh, somebody wrote a farce on it named um, Gulliver's Travels. Right, Jonathan Swift, this guy washed up on an island, very structured. You got the ruling class, you got the common people underneath. Right? Anyway, uh, so when the pilgrims first come to America, uh, they had a company colony, which means they had bylaws written by investors in this company. The investors decided to look back to Plato, Sir Thomas More, Sir Francis, Francis Bacon, and lo and behold, the bylaws for the pilgrims say what? Everything is owned in common for seven years. Everything gained by cooking, trading, fishing goes into ye common stock. Everything that you take comes out of ye common stock. And William Bradford said they almost starved to death. After a few years of it, he says, this, was, this communistic plan was tried by well-meaning people. But he says that um, it proves that the theory of Plato applauded recently uh, he called it the emptiness of the theory of Plato. And he says that the young man was, um, uh, the young men were upset that they had to do uh, twice as much work as the old guy, but they didn't get any larger share. And uh, they had to work for other men's wives without recompense. And the women had to wash the other men's clothes. And many husbands would not brook it or allow it. And, uh, and it says that they, they had to come up with a better way. And so uh, they decided to give every family their own plot of land. 
And he says, now the women went willingly into the field and took their little ones with them where before they would have uh, complained of slavery if you forced them out into the field. And so this experiment of socialism was all theoretical, but the pilgrims tried it and it didn't work. Anyway, fast forward to the French Revolution. Uh, they decided to get rid of Christianity, tore down churches, put in pr prostitutes, called it the goddess of reason. And uh, their word for socialism was fraternity. And uh, they chopped off heads. And then that uh, was based on social contract. Um, and then that influenced Hegel. And uh, Hegel influenced Karl Marx. And Karl Marx influenced socialism. But uh, one of the interesting things, of uh, the domino effect we're seeing today um, is, is you have to have a crisis before you can implement uh, a socialism. And so let's look at crime in the city. The riots, you let, you know, COVID response, what? Let all the criminals out of jail. Yeah, what? And, and I believe a lot of the people they let out of jail were MS-13 members. Um, and then maybe some ISIS that were coming over with the unvetted immigrants. Anyway, there's violence in the city. Some people feel unsafe and they move out of the city. Well, who are those that move out? Maybe those with children and families. Okay, pro-family people move out. Well, then the COVID response is what? Shut down businesses. Uh, well, who moves out then? Well, small business owners. Okay, so we got pro-family, pro-business. And then you shut down churches. Well, churches is where you have social conservatives and pro-life people organizing. Okay, so now we have the pro-life people and the social conservatives out, the pro-business people and the pro-family people. Well, uh, who's left in the city? Well, maybe those that are dependent on government handouts. Statistically, they belong to a particular political party. Well, elections happen. Uh, there's going to be fewer uh, Republicans in the city to do poll watching. If they wanted to do voter fraud, it would be a lot easier. But... In presidential election years, whoever wins the big cities wins the state. Whoever wins the state gets all the electoral votes for the state, and the president is elected by electoral votes. So there literally is a Democrat political advantage to crime going up in the city, shutting down churches, and shutting down businesses. Um, America's always been the prize of prizes for socialism and communism. I'm convinced of this. Karl Marx's theory was that socialism was inevitable because capitalism inevitably failed because what it did was to create wealthier and wealthier people, poor and poor people, until finally the poor people, which is most people in the society, couldn't take it anymore, and they rise up into a revolution and throw off the capitalists because they've impoverished them all. And then America kind of messed the theory up because America came along and suddenly working people can take care of their families. They can send their children to college. They can live in decent homes. They can drive nice cars. And guess what? They can start a business and maybe even get rich. And so the whole thing of class warfare breaks down with the United States of America more than it has any place else. So how do you still affect communism and socialism if class warfare doesn't work? You replace class with race. You see, because race gives you an advantage that class doesn't. But if you can convince people that based on the color of their skin, no matter how wealthy, no matter how successful, no matter how well they do, that the society is hopelessly against them, hopelessly corrupt, hopelessly racist, hopelessly 
a place of, of, of absolute injustice, then you can get the anomaly of people who have succeeded beyond most people's wildest dreams, saying, we've got to bring the system down. They don't realize it comes down on their heads. They haven't gotten that far yet in thinking through it. But, but race is really the new class, and they're using it very effectively to carry out a socialist agenda using race as the sort of the stalking horse and the vehicle. So this is why I encourage Christians and conservatives, don't buy into this stuff. The answer to racial problems is very simple. Jesus gave it to us. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. End of discussion. We don't need socialism to solve that problem. One, one comment. Um, if, you go, if you look at what's happened during this COVID and, and the way the church has been treated in states uh, where you have a left of center, and I would say moving towards the socialist side of things, if you look at how they've treated the churches, while they treated none of the other businesses or anything else, you know, pot shops are opening in this abortion state clinics. here, huh? Abortion clinics. abortion clinics and all kinds of things. Well, there's a simple reason for that, and that is because Karl Marx said, one of his famous quotes was, my objective is to dethrone God and destroy capitalism. And religion is the opiate of the masses. You cannot be a Marxist, socialist, communist society if you believe in inalienable rights. The people have to be dependent upon the government, not upon their God for their sustenance, for their future. So now you're seeing the mask has come off on this assault on the Christian faith particularly. You see it now very clearly, and don't be duped into thinking that this is an anomaly. No, this has been their plan all along, is to do exactly what they're doing right now to churches. I'm done. Thank you for joining us for this special broadcast brought to you by the Truth and Liberty Coalition. Praise God, wasn't that powerful? I tell you, the truth is what sets people free, and there's a lot of lies and deception and, and fake news out there today, and I think we set some things straight. You need to get this panel discussion. We call it America on the Brink panel discussion, and this is a DVD that has the entire two-plus hours worth of discussion. Plus, we're throwing in our In God We Trust musical. I tell you, this is powerful. Both of these things are yours when you become a member of our Truth and Liberty Coalition. You can go to our website. The information's on the screen. And if you become a member for $5 or more per month, then you get both of these, and I promise you they'd be a blessing. And plus, not only would it bless you, it would equip you so that you could share these truths with other people and make a difference. So listen to our announcers; they give you more information. The panel discussion on today's program is only a portion of Andrew's entire interview titled America on the Brink with Tony Perkins, E.W. Jackson, General Jerry Boykin, Bill Federer, and Janet Boynes. You can get the entire panel discussion on DVD as our free gift to you when you join with Truth and Liberty by becoming a member today. Also included with your membership, you'll receive the brand new theatrical DVD titled In God We Trust. This patriotic DVD features reenactments of significant American historical events along with inspiring musical numbers. 
You can become a member of Truth and Liberty Coalition and get both of these valuable resources by going to truthandliberty.net. While there, you'll discover other valuable resources, including voter guides, candidate information, party platforms, and much more. Truth and Liberty Coalition is a nonprofit 501c4. Donations are not tax deductible, but are essential in helping us fulfill our mission of positive change in our nation. Visit truthandliberty.net today to become a member or call our helpline at 719-635-1111 and stand with Andrew in promoting godliness in our nation.